What's up, gamers? Welcome to Battle Mallet Podcast, episode 21, Hex Ed, Fly Spread Diseases. Uh, you're coming along with us on a journey delving into the minds of four busy gamers, their annual trip to the Nova Open Convention, playing games that they love, and balancing life with those games. I'm Jared Johnson. I'm here with Trace Hyde. What's up? That was not quite long enough. <laughs> and Jason Table New Murray. Good evening, you infested, infested people. Yeah, so Jason came up with the uh, the subtitle for our episode, and I feel like it needs to be completely laid out. And this is just, you know, your public service announcement that, Jason, how did it go? Fly spread diseases? So keep yours closed. There we go. Uh, so in this episode, Hex Ed, we're going to be spending all of our time talking about Warhammer Underworlds. I've gotten some reps in with the Wormspat. Trace has got some reps in with Hrothgorn's Man Trappers. Jason has been playing anything and everything under the sun. Yep. I, I, true statement. So we'll spend uh, the, the, the entirety of the episode kind of going through our experiences with those warbands, you know, what we like about them, what we don't, you know, where we think they can succeed. But before we do that, we want to catch up with everyone. So what's everybody been up to, Trace? Finishing these derned ogres. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, I'm really, really close to being done. I've just got a couple more details to do on the Tyrant and the Scrap Launcher. Or not the Scrap Launcher, the Iron Blaster. And then I am finito. And Jared Sweet. and I can play some games. Mm-hmm. Slash, I can play him a more cry now. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Oh, um, war cry. Oh, uh, war cry. Um, are, are they aren't they broken in war cry? I don't know. I mean, they're beefy in war cry, as you would expect ogres to be. Yeah, I'm I'm under the impression that basically everything except for the war cry specific war bands are broken in one way or another. It's probably true. I mean, I haven't played against anything other than Warcry Warbands. I did watch a Warcry Warbands. So I did watch a Warcry battle report the other day that did um, actually today while I was painting while my son was taking a nap that um, had the Corvus Cabal versus the new Beastmen with three Minotaurs and a bunch of Ungor Raiders. Oh yeah. Uh, um and the Corvus Cabal won that. Oh nice. So I think I think it's just as much about like any other game where the pilot is part of it. So yeah. well that's good to know. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Um other than that, been playing some games, like you said, been playing some games with the Hrothgorn's Man Trappers. Um really digging them. Um Lots of uh, objective destruction shenanigans in my particular list, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Jason, what you been doing? Everything. <laughs> oh, oh, in the hobby, you mean. Um, so I've just been assembling a lot, uh, you know. Some may see on the social media at some point today I had a lapse in willpower and purchased 
all the new releases for Crisis Protocol, a game that I have yet to get on the table. Um, but I've assembled, uh, you know, Venom, Hulk. I assembled the Spire Tyrants for Warcry. Sweet. Not got, those models are awesome. Like those, are they? Vet, those uh, pit fighter veterans, like mm-hmm. they were, they are pretty sweet. Um, you know, can't wait to get them on on the table. You know, assembled Nurgle, Man Trapper, um, and what what's that big beastie thing too? Oh, the Ogroid Myrmidon. Yeah, might have done that last episode. That was the first one that I've I assembled. I can't recall now. Uh, but other than that, uh, been playing a lot of Underworlds, TTS, uh, and Vassal. Um, played a lot of still on the Lady Train. Uh, unfortunately, you know that dirty, dirty Lady Mournflight uh, played. To rock in the TTS league, I'm now four and zero. Which I, the reason I bring that up is I have sucked against Wild Hunt, like just terrible against Wild Hunt, and I finally beat Wild Hunt uh, with Lady Mournflight. Just I guess their movement and the fact that he can do quick damage just w- was always behind the eight ball. But that was a great game with him. Uh, went to three three rounds and a lot of like shenanigans. Push me, push you, push this, move that. Uh, it was a, a great game, and then um, I made it into the playoffs here for the Vassal League. So excited to get that started, hopefully this week. Um, and then Jared and I went to Game Theory, what was it, a week ago? A week ago. I think so, yeah. So for context, it is February 17th. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got wrecked by Nurgle, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, but more importantly... We had an amazing four-player game because we don't often do those with uh, Chad and, and and his buddy. And I rocked the Iron Soul Condemners, just the straight like faction cards, and I had a lot of fun doing that. Jared, yeah, no, that, that so Rob is Chad's friend's name. Um, so it was Chad running the spoilers. The spoilers. Rob was running Grimwatch. You were running the the all faction. Condemners deck, and I was running the all faction Nurgle deck. Um, and yeah, no, that was, yeah, I mean, we don't often play multiplayer games, and I had forgotten just how like zany and fun that can be to just not be in try hard mode, but to just play a game for the sake of playing it and enjoying it. Um, so that was good. So, so we did that, and then I have been panning a lot lately uh, but a lot of little stuff so i finished a chaplain uh inspired by the psychic awakening so terminator chaplain for the gray knights i i guess we're how many outs from how many months out from nova six months out from nova five months out from nova uh september would be nice seven months seven seven now nah, that math is wrong it's september no, no from from the last one. Oh. Five months. Oh, I don't know. Five months yeah, I thought, I thought you were like out from the new one. No. Like. So anyway, so at the Games Workshop preview at Nova 2019, we all got a Canonist figure, and I assembled that and painted that for my brother, and that was a nice little exercise doing something different. And then I just this afternoon finished my Wormspat or have them to a 
finished standard. There is more work that could be done to them, but they are there are no places where there is not paint. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's more highlighting that could be done or, or more layering that could be done, but they are, there's nowhere that it, there are not at least two layers of paint. What about her eyeball? Are you sure? Yes, I'm, uh, uh <laughs> you would bring that up. <laughs> so anyone that <laughs> has assembled Olfecula flyblown knows that the majority of her face is covered by her crown and her hair. Um, and anyone that is following us on social media knows that I commented about how I enjoy the fact that the Underworld's miniatures are push fit because it more easily allows me to paint in some assembly, which is not something that I have normally done. Well, while painting in sub assembly, I noticed that because of the different pieces that her head and face were in, it was easy for me to pull her face apart and spend time on her face. So making sure that like the shading around her nose was good and that I really like painted her tongue and painted her teeth and that her lips were a noticeably different color from the rest of the skin on her face. And I actually spent time on her eye, which is something that I hate painting. And I'm sure many other people hate painting eyes, eye lenses, all of these things. So I go in there I put on the base coat, I do one layer of highlight, I even do like a spot highlight that would be like a reflective, like sure her eye is like slimy or shiny or whatever, and then I put her back together and unless the model is <laughs> six inches from your face, you cannot see her eye at all. I so, will spend. Yep, yep, yeah, so... But I'm looking at it right now, and it looks really good when you flip her model upside down and really look for her eye. Shine some light in there. Yeah. Flip it and reverse it like you're trying to catch flies. Yes. Just like that. So that's hobby-wise. And then game-wise, just been trying to get reps in with the Worms Bat. So I've played a, a variety of games. Played against Thundrix Profiteers. Played against the Authority's Guardians. Played against don't you that talk about my game. guardians like that? Don't don't you? I just said that I played against them. That's all I said. So I don't how my was, was it even like playing? They folded like a wet noodle. Um, you said it, not me. Oh, good times, good times. So I think I'm trying. I'm trying to look into my hobby closet from here. I, I think that's all I've done. Yeah, I think that rounds it out. So, uh, I haven't bought Crisis Protocol. Um, <laughs> so, I'm not on that train. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's it. So, so Trace is still painting ogres. Almost done. Almost done. Jason is hobby butterflying, warband butterflying. And I am painting three or less models at a time. It's a good hey, world. To... You're painting. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It's a, it's a good world to live in. Cool. Well, I, uh, I, I think that rounds us out, right? We don't have, I don't, I don't have anything else that I've done. You guys? No, not no? particularly. Cool. Well, I think the, uh, I think that I, I hear the, the class bell changing. So 
Yeah, it's it's seven seven it's time next. for <laughs> you guys. We we all have a hex ed next, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Can't sweet. Wait. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll take a break yep. here, and when we get back, we'll uh we'll start hex ed. Wear protection. All right, class. Everybody in their seats. Shut up, coach. We gotta um, talk about stuff, Johnson. I'm surprised. Ooh. <laughs> no, but welcome back. So, Hex Ed, we have two new warbands dropped, a whole bunch of universal cards, and we want to chat about our first impressions and thoughts. Um, you know, the first bit warband that we were attracted to, as it often happens, is a three-figure warband that's filled with pus and glory and disease and life and all things in between. Uh, and that is the worm spat or the Nurgle war band. Um, and these guys, they bring a unique play style to the game. And I'm glad that, that one of my counterparts is, uh, jumped all over them. So, so Jared, how's it going with the wonderful Nurgles? I am having a lot of fun. Like, so I didn't anticipate being the one to jump onto this warband, given that I I mean, like, I don't typically lean towards chaos. And even if I think about playing something that's related to chaos, Nurgle is probably the last one that I would play. Um, But when they were announced and the community website gave some information about them, the initial reaction was like, oh, these guys are not very good. And I don't know what happened in my brain, but something happened. And I immediately went, well, I guess I'm just going to play them. And, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm pulling a Jason and just looking for an excuse to like perform poorly or if, uh, I, if I was tired of playing wild hunt or what but i just picked them up and said i'm gonna try to figure out how to make them work and and the games that i've won have been a ton of fun the games that i've lost have been a ton of fun and jason like you said i think that they bring something to the game that has not existed yet and 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 that's a like a true kind of staying power for a warband so to date models stay around because either they have more hit points that can be gotten through or they have better defense than can be gotten through. And in this case, I can't tell you the number of times I'm rolling a defense dice and I am wishing for a shield and not a crit. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. So for anybody that's not familiar, I imagine everyone is there. All of the fighters on in the worm spat have Uh, an ability and it says when this fighter is dealt damage by an attack action reduce that damage by one to a minimum of one for each shield in the defense roll and so we can kind of do a quick rundown Uh, they all share a very similar stat line uninspired three move one defense on shields four health Uh, fecula hits for two smashes for two damage and she's also a caster range three hits on focus for one damage, Golgotch the Butcher is three smashes for two damage, and then Sepsimus 
Plague Sworn is range two, two smash for two damage. So, I mean, respectable stat lines, to be sure, but nothing really remarkable yet, other than Golgotch's starting accuracy of, of three hammers. Like, that's notable. But beyond that, they look just like any of your uninspired Steelhearts warbands. Yeah, they're, so, they're very Steelheart-esque. Right. So it's that ability to reduce damage, which is, is key. And to give some insight on that, oftentimes your opponent will roll a crit and a hit. And when you're on one defense dice, for every other warband, there's nothing you can do about that. Yes. Correct. With these guys, there's a 33% chance that you're just going to negate one of one point of damage. Uh, and when they're inspired, there's even hope if somebody rolls two crits and a success. And that's because you can always reduce the damage by one with one shield, or if you're looking at Gulgotch or Sepsimus inspired, where they now get to roll two defense dice, there's a chance that you could reduce the damage by two points. And the, the math on reducing the damage by one point is about 55%. So there's about a 55% chance that when you're rolling two defense dice, you're going to reduce the damage by one, which... I, I mean, it's it's it has been game-changing in the games that I have played. So this is basically the equivalent of a light rebound every time you roll a defense dice. Because an attack that should kill might not kill. Or an attack that puts them within one-shot range might not actually put them in one-shot range. So it, it's been interesting to see that play out. Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed the games that I've got to to watch you play this, and and I'm intrigued by the play style and, you know, it's people often talk about the meta, right? Like the, you know, like we're in a meta where you have four warbands and they're at the top, blah, 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 blah. We've all heard that from everybody for so long, but this is why it's so important that every warband sees some sort of play through the game because since season one, like, you know, like, you know, I have, I have a, a, you know, a Reaver, right? I have um, Sake. He's going to charge in. He, he's going to do three damage, and I have some sort of ploy in my hand that's going to do an additional damage, or I have an upgrade to make him do four damage. So you know if you can get this attack to go through, that that fighter dies, right? So this whole Warband's mechanic is, it's not a guarantee in... You know, we often spend resources to guarantee something or, you know, as best we can guarantee something happens. And that's why I like it. Like, you could have somebody spending Inspired Attack and Haymaker and Potion of Rage and be rolling eight dice and be like, haha, you're done. I'm going to take out your leader. And next thing you know. Nope. Yeah. (laughs) Nope, I'm good. Right. Yeah. And let's be clear. It's far from guaranteed. Yeah. No, it's far from but that's why it's so crucial to the game. Right. And it's and they're the only ones that can do that. And and I think that I think that matters a lot. So yeah, so I, like so that, you know, um so let's talk about inspired side. Right? So I already I already mentioned that Golgotch and Sepsimus, so the two kind of dangle rows, they go to two defense dice. They stay at move 3, still four health. Quote unquote um, Dangle Bros. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they're Dangle Bros in the same way that Amos is a Dangle Bro or um, Obrin is a Dangle Bro. They're not the leader. Um, so Golgotch keeps his 
three smash, two damage, but he gains cleave, which has won me games. Uh, and then Septimus, and I think he's he's the sleeper here. So he goes from range two, two smash, two damage, to range two, two smash, three damage. But he also gets a two damage scything attack on three fury. So three swords, scything attack. So they both get, you know, decent accuracy. Septimus going to three damage is big. Um, and then they both get the two defense. Um, what What's interesting is that Fecula also goes to three smash for two damage. Um, but her attack, spell attack action, the Stream of Corruption, changes to channels. So this is the first uh, channel-based on-fighter attack action that we've seen in the game. Um, when she's inspired, the damage does stay at one. But as we'll talk about later, I have found that killing things with her is not necessarily your goal. Um, but she gets a very accurate attack, especially if you can get Well of Power on her, or Haymaker, or Postern of Rage, where she's rolling three or four or five dice for channels. That's that's a very accurate attack. Um, but she does, in fact, stay at one shield on defense. So, you know, she's kind of uh, got the downside there. But she is a wizard. She is a wizard. So you can do what? I mean, there's lots that you can do with her. You put a right. ward on her. You can yep. put Yara's uh, shield. Yara's instant shield. Yep. Oh yeah. No. I mean, there's. It's. She's not. It's not like she's helpless in that one shield defense for sure, which is a great point. So, do, like, I mean, it's. It's my observation from you playing them is that the quote unquote dangle bros like Sepsimus seems to to do some work with his range. Like he can get in there and get people going. But really the key is her with that three range, one damage. You want to plink everybody to get everybody inspired. Well, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so, oh yeah. So let's, let's go back. That's a good point, Jason. Let's talk about the inspire mechanic. So they inspire when three or more enemy fighters are any combination of out of action or have one or more wound tokens. So I could have, Three fighters with one wound token each. I could have three fighters, enemy fighters out of action, or any combination thereof. As long as that happens, they're inspired. So there are differing thoughts on how to make this happen, um, how to inspire your fighters. And I have been a fan of plinking damage in order to inspire. And so that means including things like Lethal Ward, Encroaching Shadow, the new card Collapse, you know, these cards that are either ploys or gambits. So like Sphere of Action is another great one since she starts as a level two caster where you can get your fighters inspired before you engage or have them be inspired you know, immediately after engaging. Say you can damage two fighters and then charge in with a third to damage a, a third fighter, ideally with Golgotch since he's got that sweet accuracy uninspired. And then now he's in the middle of everything, but he's inspired on two defense dice. So what, I mean, I know you've tried, what, how many different iterations of, of decks? Like, what, where did you start? Like, what did you, when you first look at them, well, let me back up a little bit. So when you look at Nurgle, what do we think of Nurgle, right? We think of resilient, right? Like, that's what historically they've been through the, the fiction is very resilient. So you have that with the shield, you have that with the wounds. 
They've been considered slow, although some would argue in 40K they're not so slow, slow right, Trey? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, there's shenanigans for scooting them along the battlefield in both Age of Sigmar and in 40K. So Yeah, you can you can scoot them along just fine. <laughs> um but they're supposed to stand there and just take a beating and, and spread their, their love and disease to everyone. So when you first looked at this warband, and I think we all did, we're like, Oh man, they're they're hot garbage. Where did you start? Like what did you what was your first initial pass? Yeah, so the first pass was was a, a, a just a wild swing and a miss. Um, but I, I figured it was going to be worth a shot just to give it a try. So they have an infection objective called Trilobe, and it is a supremacy clone. So it is score three glory in an in-phase if you hold three or more objectives. So I think the first, I don't know, two or three games I played with them, I tried to run Trilobe and Supremacy and Temp Victory... So just trying to get them on and keep them on objectives. And there's tech out there to do that. So you've got uh, Survival Instincts, which is the upgrade that's been around, so you're on guard. Buried Instincts is the new ploy that you play during an attack action that gives your fighter a guard token. So you could move on to an objective and then wait for the attack and then eat the attack and you'll still be on the objective as long as you're still alive. Um, they have an infaction push two fighter ploy, which is great. There's two steps forward, one steps back, which is great for getting fighters kind of where you need them to be. But the reality is with a three fighter warband, and basically everyone knows this now, um, or you should. If you don't know this, then listen to me. If you have three fighters, don't do not try to hold three warbands or three objectives. It's because you will you will inevitably lose one. And now, if you have Trilobe and Supremacy and temp- Temporary Victory in your hand. That's three dead objective cards and eight total glory just completely removed from your objective deck. So probably not the way to go. But I thought I wanted to try it just just to make sure that it was, in fact, a bad idea. And it was, in fact, <laughs> a bad idea. Um, so after that... Um, but the faction know, card, the faction cards, kind of led you there, right? Like, right, yeah. So looking at the faction cards, so you've got, um, got those, and you've got so, so you've got the the whole three objectives. You've got everybody's inspired, so you know you want to be doing some damage. Um, so Nurgle's Garden grows is another in faction objective score. It's a hybrid. It's an in phase, and it's a either. Uh, it's denial slash hold more. So it's two glory. Screw in the third in phase if there are no enemy fighters in your territory or your warband holds more objectives than each opposing warband. Um, so that makes it look like you want to be on objectives. Uh, they have a score immediately if your friendly fighter is holding an objective and is the target of an attack action and is not driven back if that survivor f- survives. So that's where Buried Instincts comes into play. That's where Survival Instincts comes into play. Or just making someone miss an attack. Um, you know, those are all are all great things. Um, spread his Blessings is scoring an in-phase if your Warband holds one or more objectives in enemy territory. So again, there's another in-faction objective to be on... Um, to be on objectives. And then they have score this in the third in-phase if no friendly fighters are out of action. So that's another three glory in phase third in phase objective. So it, it looks like the design space was around keeping them alive 
and having them hold objectives. And so that's kind of the route that I went. And I'm not sure that holding three objectives is the way to go, mostly because if a warband wants one of your fighters dead, it's going to happen. Like there's, Correct. <laughs> there's, there's not... I don't think that there's any effective way to to not already be winning and make it so that none of your fighters can be taken out of action. So holding three objectives did not work. So from there, I kind of ditched all of that. Um, to be honest, I kind of went to the hive mind and looked at what other people were talking about, what they were doing. So Wigglefish, a.k.a. Jonathan Davis from Well of Power, uh, Path to Glory podcast, put a deck together that I am kind of tweaking, kind of working on. So that's like one iteration, and it, um, it works a little differently. So the idea behind it is that I am worried about having glory that is easy to score on my own. Um, that doesn't require me to necessarily be in a specific place, but everything else in the deck is designed to keep you from doing what it is that you want to do. Uh, and whether that's killing my guys or being on objectives. So easy to score things, um, branching fate. So it's just easy surge because at some point all of the fighters are going to be rolling three dice. Uh, and I have, I think I have yet to not score this card at some point uh, between the ability to have re-rolls or just rolling three dice lots of time. Um, scorched Earth, because you can put Avansauce on making and leave nothing to chance. Uh, strong Start. It's Unless you're looking at the third activation phase, it's not likely that I will be the first one to go out. Um, unexpected pitfall. So this is taking somebody out with either a ploy or in a lethal hex. So, and I've got all of this blink stuff in there to kind of help me with that. So bold conquest is the only one that really requires me to be on a, in a specific place. So bold conquest is a surge objective. If your leader makes a charge and is holding an objective. Um, and so, and that's really it. Uh, and then, so the only one, and this is one, Jason and I, you've talked about this, that you know I may or may not like is, is Sorceress Volley. And as long as you can do things right with Fecula, I think this one's works. So score immediately after the same friendly fighter's second or subsequent spell attack action in this phase that targets the same enemy fighter. So the attack doesn't have to land. Uh, it just has to target the same fighter. And that's where her spell always being one damage comes into play. So you know can, she can kind of hang back. And she could attack a two-wound fighter, hit them both times, and still be able to score this. Well, the, um, for that card, you don't even need to hit them. You just have to target Right. Them. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that makes it even easier. Um, so those are the surges. And then the end phase, I've got catching up because uh, we've talked about this. But there's kind of a slow and purposeful vein uh, to this warband. And they don't mind going second. So if you let your opponent go first and they get one glory ahead of you before you score, you can score catching up. Or if, even if they're like two or three, well, you're going to narrow that gap before you continue to score everything else that you have. Fired up, I felt like, is kind of a no-brainer. I think at some point, three enemy fighters are going to be damaged based on my ploys. 
Uh, team effort is an, a new card. So that's uh, scoring an in phase if there are two more surviving friendly fighters and each surviving friendly fighter made one or more actions in the previous phase. Well, that's easy. These guys are either going to be moving, charging, attacking, or going on guard. And I'm going to want to do that with all of my fighters that are alive. Um, and Faithful Reward is uh, each surviving friendly fighter is inspired. So it's fired up, but it has to be the whole warband. Well, with the way that their inspire mechanic works, if one of them inspires based on their inspire mechanic, they all inspire. Uh, so that's easy enough. And... And then I think the last one is keep chopping. And so I put that one in there because I want to shoot twice with Fecula anyway. Uh, Sepsimus has his spiving attack. So if I can get two people that I can get adjacent to, that works. Um, and then I also have what I am going to argue is the upgrade with the best flavor text <laughs> in the game. So I will read the flavor text and then we'll talk about the upgrade. So the flavor text goes, Hug, ha, ha. So, <laughs> or as I like to interpret it, <laughs> or that. So putrid vomit is the upgrade. It's a uh, it's a ranged attack upgrade for Fecula or Gulgach. Range three, three furies, one damage. Um, but it's I mean it's a ranged attack, and that makes you know if you can get in the middle and turret your vomit everywhere. Um, that's going to make keep chopping uh, a little easier to score. So this is this is very similar to a deck that Jonathan Davis put together. Um, but, you know, I've just made some changes based on kind of my own play style and stuff. Yeah, so, you know, so some key points there, are like slow and purposeful. I think, you know, at least once again in my observations, this warband, again, kind of switches what our thought process has to be. It's not going to be the Grim Watch where they score nine glory in a single phase. It's about being that slow and you're not going to kill me. I'm not going to give up a lot, but I'm just going to build and build and build. And then by, you know, round three, I have my 14, 15, 16 glory. Right. Is that fair interpretation? Yeah. So, the, I mean, the total glory for the deck is 14. I mean, I have Tome of Offerings in there and that certainly helps. Crown of Averson that is in there. So that's going to help. But yeah, to your, I mean, three fighter warband, right? Unless somebody's got Tome and Trophy Belt or Tome and another infaction or Tome and Trophy Belt and another infaction, you're getting three glory for killing me. So even if you go full aggro, you know, I'm not giving up loads of glory like Grimwatch or Thorns or Goblins do. Um, but I, I think the real idea is that I just want to disrupt whatever it is that you're trying to do. So if you're trying to go for objectives, I'm going to try and remove those or be on them so that you can't get on them. Um, or if you're going aggro, I'm just going to soak it, slow burn, and then as you come to me, I'm just going to hit back hard. And, and how has that playstyle worked for you since you've switched to this? I mean, what would you, first off, what would you even class that classify as? Is it like control, like a, control, like a hybrid? Like it's a control deck. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's so I guess so flex is the overall like hybrid, right? So I think it is a flex where it's control aggro. Cuz I do have things like Tome of Offerings. I've got Glory Seeker. You're just you know, controlling I've, by removal is what you're doing. Um well, yeah, and that's actually a good point that control doesn't necessarily mean just you know, controlling a deck or 
controlling. Yeah, you're not just dictating the other person's deck. You're dictating the board state in any way you can, and that's right. what control means. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's a good point, Trace. So yeah, I think control is probably the best bit. And I think where you really hit it the other night when we were testing this out was you made some fantastic decisions with board and objectives. So like walk through how you've grown to realize that that's probably more important with this war band than anything else. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I think because the infection cards are not great, they do not have good infection objectives. So they're not looking at the same kind of infection objectives that say the Banshees are or, or the Grimwatch are or Stormcast, uh, the, storm sires are um and they they don't have the action economy of say the thorns of the briar queen where there are universal objectives that are easier for them to score so i mean that's kind of precluded these including all of these super easy to score low glory objectives um but with good stat blocks what you have to rely on is choosing boards well and making the decision when to choose objectives and when not to choose objectives. Or really, for me, it's been just where to place objectives. I think in every instance I have chosen, if I win the role, then um, I will let my opponent put down boards. So I will give my opponent the objective so that I can choose the engagement. And what that lets me do is make sure that I line up not only my starting objectives, but your starting objectives in a way that's going to let me score the things that I need to score. So Fecula's score immediately where she has to shoot twice, um, keep chopping, you know, where I can get in the middle. And then the other piece here, and this is something that, you know, it's talked about a little bit, but it hasn't been talked about a lot because I think to date when people are trying to disrupt objective-based warbands, they just want the objectives. So if I, if somebody is going into Thorns, they're going to say, well, if I win the roll-off, I'm going to take the three objectives and my level of engagement be darned, right? Like, I will I will eat the offset molten shard pit if it means that I can hold on to the three objectives to prevent my opponent from scoring temporary victory or supremacy or the tactical supremacy, whatever the case is. I think the difference here is that these fighters don't have the infection ability to do that, so you have to look at board placement and objective placement and movement to do that piece of the game for you. So what I have started to do is really be thoughtful about where I put down my first or second objective in a way that disrupts what my opponent is trying to do and forces more objectives towards the midline. Because if I can get objectives either at or on the midline, it's a lot easier for me to even just move up and stand on them, which can be just as disruptive as them not being able to get to them or even more so because now they have to come in and engage and attack instead of being able to like double move to get to an objective or, you know, push to get onto the objective. What warband pushes a bunch of fighters? <laughs> yeah. Who would do that? <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, that's a lot of information on, on this warband. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to see you passionate about a war band again. I don't, I don't think I've seen you this passionate about a war band except when your were broken, but really honestly, like since your far, first riders, which 
kind of used to play the same way, like a denial style um, control. So what do you think is, I know there's one other version out there that you've experimented with. What do you think is the best way to play them? Like the way that we just went over, or do you think that it's there, there, it may push even out elsewhere? So I think that there's another build and it's one that is, I think going to be more difficult to do, which is why I haven't, done it as much because i just haven't had the time to put the thought into it that i would want and i think that there's an objective around them holding two objectives that is going to give you a greater glory yield without worrying about killing fighters um and i and it's been talked about so anybody that's in the the um the Warhammer Underworlds Reddit Discord, if you go into the deck building channel there and just search for Warm's Fat, you'll see conversations around kind of how to play the Warband. And that's I've had conversations there and pulled from conversations on there. But I think there's one around holding two. So there's um, so holding two and then flipping, removing objectives. Uh, and so you're looking at uncontested, which is hold two or more objectives in an in phase and your opponent holds none uh, for three glory. There's coveted spoils, which I think we've talked about on the show before, but Trace has played around with, with storm sires before where coveted spoils is you score three glory. If you, if your warband holds all the objectives, well, if there's only one objective on the board, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind (laughs) of easy to hold. And who doesn't want three glory for holding one objective? So that one's in there. And then you've got, you know, your other kind of standard hold two objectives that are out there. So swift advance, holded one in your territory and enemy territory, and then path to glory, path to victory, which is hold two objectives and have taken someone out of action. So if you do those, um, so uncontested is three, coveted spoils is three, swift advance, path to victory, those are both. Two. So, I mean, that's eight glory from four objectives. So if you if you take eight other one glory, easy to score objectives, you're looking at a, a 16 objective, 16 glory objective from a warband that can do a lot to disrupt other people's scoring. So it's still... You're looking at my Mantrapper's deck. Yeah, yeah, which, which, which we're, we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, so you're still not, you're still not looking at scoring 20, 23 glory. Right, you're not you're not trying to score supremacy and all the tax supremacies with keys and all of that stuff. Um, but you, the idea, and this is to your point, this is what I did with my Farstrider Warband. I think that my Farstrider Warband, even in the heyday before restricted objectives, I want to say it probably only had like 15 glory in it. And the idea, and that was with that was back when you could run combination strike and victory after victory. Um, the, the idea was, I'm just going to make sure that you can't do whatever it is that you want to do. So, um, so that's in there. And then the two things that I haven't talked about, and these are ones that I haven't experimented with in great detail is Tome of Glories. So if you're going to try to get on objectives anyway for uncontested or coveted spoils or swift advance or whatever, Tome of Glories is great because it's been an activation, get a glory. Like, who, who's not going to spend an activation to gain a glory, right? I mean, that's basically what we're trying to do 
the whole game. <laughs> it is kind of um, how you win the game. Yeah. Um, and then Cryptic Companion, which is a new card. So Cryptic Companion is the formless key, but you score it every in phase, not just third in phase. So if you're sitting on an objective during an in phase, mm-hmm. at the end of an act phase, at the at the end of an action phase. Yes. Yep. Yeah. At the end of the action phase. Yeah. Yeah. You get a glory. So it could, if you get it on an objective in action phase one, and you put that upgrade on, congratulations, you just got an extra glory. Um, so I feel like that's probably the way that I'm going to lean. Uh, I think my issue with that is that a, it's going to require more thought. I'm going to have to think more moves ahead because I have to be on objectives and that's not a play style that I have played extensively at all. Uh, um, reclaim the lame and teary. Oh, Does that wow. count? Does that count? <laughs> One card. Um, but I think that there's going to be more teeth in that style of play than in what I'm currently doing. Cool. I I would agree with that last statement. Like it is not a that type of play style is not something that you've done. And I personally like would like to challenge you to play that more because. I think in Underworlds, the more you, like, if you understand objective play, if you understand aggro play, control, like, flex, you're better equipped for the situation. And sometimes in this game, there can be, I don't want to call it a bad experience, but the most frustration is set in when you want to do a thing and someone stops you from doing the thing, right? Right. But you, but you, the more education you have in play styles, it's easier to counter that thing. So... Um, I think it'd be I think it'd be a good challenge for you to to learn the objectives and it would be hard. So, uh, in closing on the worm spat, one piece of advice for anyone that wants to play them because they are not the easiest, right? So right. Um, yeah, I think it goes back to learn learn boards and objective placement so that you can you can do what you need to do and disrupt what your opponent wants to do. Fantastic. Cool. Any other pieces on Nurgle other other than the models are amazing? And we didn't oh my gosh, they're so good. Except for except for Seps. Well, there, sec- no, it's still amazing. It's it just in its own way. <laughs> I, let me put it this way: I have never, until I started painting this warband, actively gagged while painting a miniature. But. Poor old Sepsimus has got... He needs to see... Poor old Sepsimus. He, he needs, so, he needs he to go see a doctor. Doctors. What you're saying is that in the undies voting of 2021, Sepsimus will have the best butt. Uh, yes. Him and his rose butt are going to win it all. <laughs> Ooh. Rose butt. Ooh. Ooh. A little more than a rosebud. Yeah, he's <laughs> a little more than a rosebud, but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> well, fantastic class. I'm glad we we got to talk about rectal. This is prolapse. this is what happens when you do this. <laughs> yeah. All right, so moving on, moving right into man. <clears throat> excuse me, man trappers. So man trappers, uh, the second war band to come out. Um, kind of has a Molog look to it. So 
Trace has gravitated uh, to him, and he's got a whole bunch of shenanigans. And this is where we're 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 kind of flipped. I thought for sure Trace would be playing Nurgle, and I thought for sure Jared would be playing Mantrappers. But hey, <laughs> that's okay. So Trace, what are your first impressions of the Warbrand? Um, more involved than Malog, which is uh, good. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, all the different. I think it's a more well-designed warband than Molog was um, because you actually kind of value the other fighters that are in the deck um, that are in the warband. So, you know, just looking at, we'll go through kind of some of the cards like we did with Jared and, and the Worms Bat. So, Hrothgorn Mantrapper, he's the star of the show, right? He's a six-wound, four-move, one-shield fighter with a trap launcher action that is Three hexes distance for two fury and two damage out of the box. And then you have the hunting knife, which is one hex away, hex one hex range, two hammers for three damage. Which is just a tasty, tasty like he's just a he is a very well rounded fighter. Um, and then you have Thrafnir, which is his kitty cat, his saber tusk. Um, Thrafnir is best kitty. No is best kitty and possibly Oop. best puppy too. You, th- you think? You think he's better than Riptooth? Uh, no, he's not better than Riptooth. Riptooth is kidding. a dog. Riptooth is a doggo. Riptooth is a demon. <laughs> demon doggo. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, so Thrafnir, he is five move out of the box with two dodge out of the box for three health, which is a nice mobile. Still one-shottable fighter, but he can do some things that we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, he has one range, one range attack for three fury for two damage, and he can't, you know, in typical like pet fashion, he can't have weapon upgrades and stuff like that that give him, you know, extra extra attack actions. You can boost his his damage and stuff like that in his dice, but you can't give him a weapon. Um, and then you have Luggett and Thwack, which basically allow you to always push your opponent. So whether you win the roll off against your opponent when you're hitting them or when you um, lose the roll off, you can still push them. So if you they have a one a one hex attack for one um, smash, one damage. So the lo- the odds are high that you're gonna lose <laughs> that attack. Killing um, it, those guys. They are. They are killing it. Now, they're probably he's really beating beating his buddy over the head with his his club. So it's I mean, it is it is worth noting that Luggett and Thwack. It it is two they Noblars. Are, they are it's, stacked fighters. It is <laughs> a Noblar is, on a Noblar. It's the and world's tallest. Just Noblar. because we're talking about Hexed does not mean that we're talking about it in that way. So <laughs> you have a they have a move, movement of three, one dodge, three health. And they have a reaction. Well, they have a their beaten club plus one dice if there are fewer than two wound tokens on this fighter card. So it starts out as a two smash attack, which is good. Um, and then their reaction after this attack action, if there are few, if there were fewer successes in the attack roll than the defense roll, push the target one hex. So like I said, you can always maneuver your opponent as long as they're not on guard, obviously. But if you miss and they're on guard, you can still push them. That's um, pretty sweet. Which is awesome. 
And then we get to Quiv. Quiv is a three hex move, one dodge, two health fighter with a range one, two fury, one damage attack. And the cool little tidbit about him, and this is why I like the way this warband is designed, you can sit him next to Hrothgorn, and he gives Hrothgorn a one dice reroll on his trap launcher attack, which is like having a awakened weapon just out of the box if yep. he's next to you. Yeah, it's sweet. And I like so the the nobbler's name is Quiv. Yep. And it, and it looks like he's holding a spear, but it is not in fact a spear. Nope. <laughs> it's a giant crossbow bolt. That is correct. So he is a nobbler who is also a quiver. Mhm. <laughs> I love it. And then finally we come to probably my favorite of all of them, which is Bushwacka. And Bushwacka is a 3 3 range move, one dodge, two health fighter. One at one range, one fury, one damage. Well, why is he good, you say? Well, I'll tell you. So Bushwhacka has a reaction that says, after an activation, if there is no friendly trap model on the battlefield, this fighter can and if this fighter has no charge tokens, place a friendly trap model in any adjacent empty hex and give this fighter a charge token. If another fighter moves into, is pushed, or is placed into the trap X, the fighter is dealt two damage and the trap is removed. So, interesting things about this. It's a reaction after any activation. So that means that if you're playing against Zarbag, you can block Snurk from getting inspired if you want to. Um, just little fun little things like that that people may not think about. Um, <clears throat> but there's some nasty little shenanigans you can do with this with this fighter um, that we can get into in just a minute. <clears throat> so that's their uninspired side. Inspired, they all gain various different things. Luggett and Flak go to two fury um, on their attack, and they go to four move. Quiv gains a fury, gains a dodge, and goes to four move. Bushwhacker gains a move, gains a dodge, goes and um, gains a... Uh, uh, gains a fury, yeah, as well. And then Hrothgorn goes to a three fury attack for his range three attack for two damage. And <clears throat> his hunting knife goes to three hammers for three damage. And he's a four move fighter for two with two shields when he's inspired. And then Thrafnir doesn't really gain a whole lot. He can re well, he, he does gain a significant two things. He gains cleave. And he gains a reroll on one dice in his attack roll. So he gets an awakened weapon on his own, and he gets cleave. So all around, really solid fighters. Um, and the one thing I didn't really touch on that's really kind of key to Hrothgorn is his trap launcher action. If he hits you with it and causes damage, he can push you a hex. But if, when he's inspired, he can push you two hexes, as long as those hexes are closer to you. So... And it's a push, it's not a drive back. So this warband is all about maneuvering your opponent um, in places that you want them to go. Yeah, so. I mean, the key, key thing there, it's a reaction so you don't have to do it. Correct. So you could drive them back, mm-hmm. or you could, you know, drive them back and react and, and pull them forward or just pull them forward. He also does, he makes everybody a quarry, which is, yep. is different. So. Yep. Um, which actually comes into play in some of the cards that I have in my deck too. So 
overall, his faction warband cards are actually really good. Um, the first really broken good. faction right out, like with too many surges. So Correct. You can't, yeah. Can't play. <laughs> you can't play a championship event with their stock deck. <laughs> nope. You gotta tweak it up a little bit. Um, yeah, they had they ended up having eight surges in their in their starting deck, which is just crazy. Some of them are more usable than others. Um, but they have a lot of what I like about their their objective deck is they give you probably two or three different ways to play them right out of the box. So like you can go full ho- full hog aggro with them if you want to. Um, you know, butchering score this in an end phase if there are more enemy fighters out of action than surviving enemy fighters for two glory. Um, then you have always moving. Score this in end phase if there is at least one friendly fighter and there are no um, friendly fighters in your in your ter- in your territory. So like you have to everybody needs to be in the enemy territory for two glory. Um, and then hunter's feast is one that is that really screams aggro, which is score this immediately when your leader's attack action takes an enemy fighter out of action and your leader made one or more attack actions that took an enemy fighter out of action earlier in this phase. So you're rewarding yourself to glory for killing two fighters. Um, So those are things that are not necessarily easy to do, but they they lend themselves more towards the pure aggro um, build. Um... Which is not really the way that I'm rolling, um, but so, so what decisions have you made? Because you know five five model warband, mm-hmm. you know, so not the easiest to control with as far as activations go. Correct. And really, from a a stat line, you know, I'm gonna punch punch you. Mm-hmm. You know, the noblars are not not there. They're like utility fighters that you have to be, you know, not cautious, but Pick your battles where you want to utilize them. So you basically okay. have two, you have two fighters that are going to go in and, and punch somebody. So where where did that that lead you? And oh, and the other thing too is like even though Hawthorne is like the main main guy has great range, he doesn't have any shenanigans where he can you know charge multiple times no. or you know move and an attack and stuff yep. like that. So. I'm sorry, charge and attack. So so where'd you go with them? So I went basically the same route that I had been playing my Storm Sires Curse Breakers, which Jared uh-huh. kind of took a little bit of um, took a little notes from, I guess, with his faction deck too. Um, and my whole what I've had the most fun with this expansion is trying to deny objective warbands what they want to do. Not by getting on those objectives or killing fighters, but by completely obliterating the objectives themselves. So I'm manipulating the board state by removing those objectives or flipping them underneath you or before you get to them. Um, And I have more ways to do that than pretty much almost any other warband in in the game. So... There's one card that I, that really like threw me down the rabbit hole with this that he has in his faction deck. It's called Arm of the Everwinter. And it says, Surge, score this immediately when your warband removes a feature token from the battlefield or flips, that fe- flips a feature token. So, that I was like, okay, cool. Like, they have a way to 
to kind of score glory based on objective removal, which is what I like to do anyway. And then you get a little further in, and they have a <clears throat> a uh, ploy, which is um, Frozen Earth. Pick a feature token in a hex that contains or is adjacent to your leader. Remove it from the battlefield. Okay. Cool. All right. That That's cool. And then, so, I was like, well, I've already got some other cards that I was playing in my in my Stormstar's Cursebreakers deck. So I had Unexpected Peril, which is pick a feature token in an empty hex in your territory. Flip that token. So you don't have to be close to it. Somebody can, like, charge in and, like, try and get on it. You can just be like, nope, flip, and they don't, it's not an objective anymore. Um, but one card that came out in the Wormspat deck, too, that really pushed me down it was Leave Nothing to Chance, which is basically pick one feature token that contains a friendly fighter, remove that token from the battlefield. So now... I have two ways of, of removal, and then I have other ways of flipping over objectives based on the Warband's cards themselves. So Bushwhacker has a, a specific ploy for himself. It's, it's called More Traps. Pick one feature token in a hex that contains or is adjacent to a friendly Bushwhacker. Flip that token. So you don't have to be on it. So I could charge, right? I could charge, or I could move and I move right next to the objective that you're on, and I flip it from underneath you. Or I move it, or I flip it over before you get to it. So unless you're taking into flipping those objectives back, a lot of them, it's going to be really hard for you to score some of those three objective scores. Uh, and, and I know that like some of them are going to, like, there's nothing you can really do if Grimwatch has temporary victory or something like that on the first turn and they have three objectives. Like it's just really, really difficult to handle that anyway. And so I'm not even worried about like if I can get that off and get and remove that middle objective to where you can't score that super easy, that's great. If not, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> so wait. So let me get this right. So unexpected peril. Yep. Flipping a feature token in your territory. Your territory. Okay, Correct. and then there's the Frothgorn-specific ploy, and mm -hmm. he has to be on or adjacent. Yep. And then there's the Bushwhacker ploy, where he has to be on it or adjacent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you could, there's in theory... One, the other one that's removed, too. There's and then leave nothing to chance, which is remove if you're on it. Right, but I'm yep. saying, in theory, mm -hmm. with the perfect draw, Yep. you could start with three objectives in your starting territory. And then have none. And then have none. Correct. That is because correct. you could put both Hrothgorn and Bushwaka next to objectives and and do it. Correct. And with That's those correct. three ploys, four ploys in your deck, there's a good chance that you're going to have one of them in your starting hand. Which is why I have them all in my deck. Yeah. So, so you're almost guaranteed to remove at least one objective. First turn. First activation step. potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's awesome. And and then you go even further, which I tend to do. <laughs> right. Um, and I put in lethal snares in the deck. So I have lethal snares in, which is reaction. After this fighter put in a push, move action, or push or move action in a hex that contains a feature token or is placed in a hex that contains a feature token, flip that token. So 
you know, ideal world, right? I'm putting that on Thrafnir with his five move, and I just run into enemy territory and jump. Oh my gosh! Right? That's awesome. And flip done. Like now you got to remove me, and I'm on an lethal hex. (laughs) So um, there's just you know fun little things like that, right? So now that I've gone down, you know, probably where many people have gone. You know, I'm not giving myself like all the credit for thinking that this is a unique way to play, right? But so another another card that came out in this set that um, I found truly, truly interesting was Perfect Match, right? So Perfect Match scores us in an end phase if you have scored ten or more objectives. I was like, hmm. I wonder what would happen if I just put like super easy objectives in for everything else just about. So we'll go through my objective deck for my Hrothgorn's Man Trappers. So obviously I have my six surges just like everybody really should if you're trying to, you know, maximize your efficiency, right? So, and because of I was trying to think of things that are super easy to score, I put in first one was Calculated Risk. Second one. Scorched Earth. Hmm. I have two ways to remove objectives completely. So I, I put Scorched Earth in. Um, Arm of the Everwinter, which is the one where you flip or, or where you remove or you flip, right? So now my brain is thinking I'm only ever using Frozen Earth and Leave Nothing to Chance if I have Scorched Earth in my hand, right? Right. Because the other one, I can just flip a token and get. Um, and then I have unexpected cunning, which is probably one of the easiest object, uh, the easy object, easiest objectives to score in the game. Which is surge, score this immediately after playing your third or subsequent power card in the same phase. Yeah, that's wait, him. you said power card? Power card. Oh, not ploy like everybody else. No, Gee, no. yeah, power card. No, and well, and so this gets into the, like. The mechanic where, like, being able to score glory in the power step is huge. Mm-hmm. Because you're not spending activations to score it. Correct. So, <clears throat> then we get a little further. And you know how I kind of casually mentioned that Thrafnir moves five, right? Right out of the box, he moves five. So, I put Gather Momentum in. So, now I have an automatic way to score Gather Momentum out of the box as long as the Raptors are alive. Noise. You know, just like the bats. <laughs> Two can play at this game, Grimwatch. Um, and then finally, because we're going to have so many lethals all over the place, <laughs> I put in Unexpected Pitfall. You know, we talked about that with Jared's stuff. So you're trying to either kill somebody with a ploy or kill somebody with a lethal hex. Well, I have a ton of ways to push you around, and I also have a bunch of different plink things that I can put into this deck, right? So I'm using <clears throat> my lack of like there's only a there's only like really one card in here that requires me to interact with you and kill you, which is that one. Um and then I was like, okay, so what are some easy in phase objectives that I could go through? So I put in frugal, because I could sit on three glory if I have you know if I have a couple Things in my hand. The only time this would ever really have a problem is if I'm scoring um, something like uh, 
unexpected cunning, and then I draw into frugal, but I had to spend one of those glory to put on an upgrade. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, like I mean, frugal is a card that's been popping up more and more. And, you know, a lot of people used to use like opening gambit, where like you know, or the the one where you score score three glory in the same phase. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I forget um. Solid gains. Solid gains. You talk. You're just talking about the next two cards in my deck, Jason. <clears throat> but like for the re- the thing with frugal is you can control it. So yep, like you can score the other one, the other two. Yeah, the other ones are good, but like you can consciously make the decision of I'm not like I'm not going to spend glory. To score. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. The only time it really kind of bites you is if you if you draw into it after you score a surge, right? So you draw, you score your surge. But if that the only time that really really bites me in this deck is if I'm trying to score unexpected cunning and I use one of my glory to put an upgrade on right, so that's the only time I've really come across that really kind of um, kind of can nip you a little bit. Um, and then I have opening gambit just like you said because some of these the all all these other objectives are really really easy to score. And then I have solid gains. Then I also put in because Hrothgorn has a range three attack and a range one attack that he's wanting to kill you because that's the way that the warband inspires is by killing a warband a, a fighter next to Hrothgorn. It doesn't have to be his attack. A fighter just has to die next to him. So I put in versatile fighter, which is a throwback, right? Um, Scores in an end phase if the same fighter made both an attack action with range one or two and an attack action with a range of three or more in the preceding action phase. I'm probably going to activate Hrothgorn twice anyway in in my turn, if I'm being realistic, unless yeah, I'm trying to do something else. You can suck them into you too, right? So. Correct, yep. So if they're two X's away, I shoot them with my crossbow. If I miss, fine. It's fine. I'll just charge the next turn. If I hit you and I get to pull you close to me, now I can just hit you without having to put a charge token on myself. So, and then we get to the other tech that Jared talked about, which is coveted spoils. All these objectives are going to be gone for the most part. So, I'll try and hold one. Sure. <laughs> um, and with some of the other cards that are in here, I think it's it's a it's a good card to have. And then finally, I have perfect match. So. That puts my glory total for my objective deck at 17. So, I mean, perfect match is a commitment because you can only ditch one one objective the entire game. Yep. Um, But you definitely definitely have some easy scores if the cards come out Mm -hmm. in your power deck. Mm -hmm. And then we'll move on to gambits. And I'm actually running 11-11, which I'm kind of... I've been doing a lot this season just because there's so many cards that I like. Um, and with this warband, I think you can find uses for those cards. So I have the things that I'm that I've been thinking about with my with my object my um power deck is ways that I can gain movement and get more activations out of Hrothgorn if I need to, and ways to manipulate the board state further. Right. Um. So we've already gone through a lot of the ploys. Which were the ones that we, that that helped me score those removal objectives are frozen earth, more traps, leave nothing to chance, and unexpected peril. All four of those are in my deck, so that's four slots taken. 
And then the rest of my gambits are Commanding Stride. It's very unlikely that I'm going to get domed turn one with Hrothgorn, so I'm probably going to have an, an opportunity to do this um, <clears throat> and get more centrally placed or move back. Jason and I played a game, and I actually used this to kind of move back into my own territory without making a move action, which helped me score some other stuff too. Um, and then I also put in a card that doesn't get played a lot, but because of the way that the fighters are in this warband um, and how tempting of targets they can be, I put in counter charge, right? So fighter makes a, makes a charge action. As long as I catch this before the move's over, I can be like, okay, counter charge, cool. So you charge my Noblar that I put up front to like go do something. Well, as long as I keep Hrothgorn, which is has to be present in my mind, right? I have to keep Hrothgorn three hexes away. If I can keep Hrothgorn three hexes away, or Thrafnir for that matter, three hexes away, <clears throat> I can push them towards you, and then so I can get a support whenever you know. Either way, whoever you're attacking, I gain a support, and then also I have the opportunity after that charge action to attack you with whoever, right? So. That's why that's in there. And then I have start to start with plank damage to kind of get towards unexpected pitfall, which is lethal ward. And then I also have pit trap. And then I have collapse. And I have snare. Um, so those are the three direct damage or four direct damage ploys that I have. And then I also have I had dragged into the darkness into the deck. And it's it's just a little too situational. Jason and I talked about it a while back. Um, it's just a little too situational. And with all the positioning that I want to keep doing, I just put in distraction. Just plain old distraction. Because um, I can push you into a lethal. I can push you off of an objective that I want to be on to roast. Um, just a little bit more reliable way to get you around the board. And then upgrades. I have Potion of Rage just... Because anytime you want to roll dice, it's better to have more. And then I have Tome of Offerings for ways to kind of catch up if I need to. Um, or just gain a little bit more glory differential if I'm trying to pull ahead. Um, and then I have Savage Instinct, which is a Hrothkorn-specific uh, card, which is this fighter's range 1 and range 2 attack actions have ensnare. There's a lot of dodge out there right now, isn't there? Oh my gosh. Okay, so you would be uninspired. <laughs> two fury, two damage, but against a one or two dodge with ensnare. Only range in one and range two. Oh, only range one and range two. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not uh, that good. Okay. Oh, not, not that, that good. good. I was Johnson. about to say. <laughs> that's banana pants, but not like... I mean, that's huge against thorns it's huge against banshees it's huge against yep goblins like all these people that are going to two and three dodge and then you can also if you're feeling like you want to be a super versatile fighter right you can put it on thrafnir and he's inspired and he has cleave and ensnare so yeah nice oh it's cute you're on guard i'm gonna come get you (laughs) um so then other utility things that are in the deck i have great speed Great strength, because going to four damage with Hrothgorn or going to three damage with Thrafnir is good. 
And then I have the <laughs> the highlight of the upgrade deck, in my opinion, which is Hunter's Reflexes. So Hunter's Reflexes, it's amazing. <laughs> Especially on Hrothgorn. So you give it to Hrothgorn, and every fighter is a quarry. So I don't know if anybody's used this card or not, but this fighter is a hunter. Well, I already am. That's cool. <laughs> Reaction. Use this after an enemy fighter's activation. If that fighter is a quarry, push this fighter one hex closer to that enemy fighter. So after every activation, it's a lot of free movement. If it's on at the beginning of the turn, I get four free hexes of movement every turn. And it blocks every after activation. Every after activation. Reaction. Yes. So it's going to block the Rip of Snarlfang's Bites. Correct. It's going to block Pit Trap. Correct. It's going to block an opponent, Bushwaka. That's correct. It's going to block Snark and Spire. <laughs> and, and if Lady Harrow goes... It's well, gonna I mean, block hers. It'll block hers, but that's well. That would be her. She it would be her reaction, but it's also gonna block all of the Yothari reactions. Correct. Because those are all after reactions. Wow. I mean, because you see yeah. a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. All the Yothari's yeah. out there. Um. So that's that's like my favorite card in the upgrade deck. I don't know. That seems pretty good. It's pretty good. Um. And then we have lethal snares, which I already talked about. And then we get to some faction specifics, which are just. Are just so good. Um, massive bulk. This warband has an infaction, sudden growth. <laughs> Minus two move, plus two wounds. If I have this on and I have on hunters, you know, hunters reflexes, I don't care. Yeah, you're, you're scooting closer anyway. Yeah. And I have the option to move, right? I don't have to use that reaction. So. Like, if I'm going to be pulled farther away by somebody else's action that is from what I really want to do, I'm not going to react to it. Tough and Tied. This, this is just restricted to a hunter. There are two hunters in this warband. One is Thrafnir. One is Hrothkorn. When this fighter is dealt damage, reduce that damage by one. Ugh, gross. <laughs> and then... One of my other things in this deck that I feel is kind of necessary to kind of help keep the deck moving correctly is one that's a Hrothgorn or Noblar specific card, which is action. It's called Veteran Hunter. Action. Draw up to two power cards. How many times have you drawn a power card, Jared? Um, I mean, probably once per action phase with three fighters. Correct. So... <laughs> It, wouldn't it be nice to use that action to draw two instead? Yeah. yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> It's pretty sweet. And then finally we have Trophy Belt. Because since everybody in this, everybody that I'm fighting is a quarry, that sweet, sweet unspent glory from Trophy Belt. Nice. So that's the deck. Well, and so that pairs nicely with Frugal, right? Because most people, that if they're Correct. running Trophy Belt, right, you're getting spent glory. So you're like, oh, great, I killed two people, but I only got unspent glory from that or i got spent glory from that yep that's nice i like that yep so that's the so how does it play like like a great deck analysis great. And, 
and it I plays mean, great I, into warbands that actually want to do something with objectives. But when I'm playing a mirror match, not necessarily in um, in warband, but in theme, mm-hmm. it's very difficult. So it's harder. It's harder to play. Like elaborate. So if you're right, so if, if you're I'm playing, playing like Grimwatch, if I'm playing, playing Grimwatch. If I'm playing Grimwatch. It's it's a it kind of works the way I want it to, right? Which is, okay. I'm. I am winning through glory denial. So I'm trying to remove those objectives and keep you from scoring all your crazy burst glory at the end of the phase. It works. Like it's Jason easy kills and stuff like that. Plus the easy kills with the, with the trophy belt and which, and with Tome of offerings, it allows you to play multiple different ways, which is really good. Um, I played one game against Jared, which was, it was a very close game. Like it came down to literally the last die roll of the game, but it was a much harder and much different game to play um, because his deck is geared to do a lot of the same things that I'm geared to do, which is remove those objectives, get on them, and rem- and you know just try and play that denial. Which it you know it didn't impact me as much as it would an objective based warband, but the games that the game that I played against him it really kind of showed like, okay, if you're playing against somebody like this, you're going to have to kind of probably lean a little bit more aggro than just trying to do your thing. Right. Um, because the whole, the, the best part about this deck is I can choose how I want to engage my opponent for the most part. And in my game with Jared, one, I, I made, a really ballsy move at the beginning of the game to keep four upgrades for whatever reason. It's because I had a I had a really really easy I had calculated risk in my hand. I was like, okay, I can get one of these out of my hand. It's not a problem. See what else would draw, right? Um, it's fine. Like, I don't really think the game necessarily came down to that. Um, but. Anyway, so that's so, I've, yeah. So well, and I, I so I think Wormspat are a tough matchup for them because they are because I do low amounts of damage. Right, you're not they're cool. not as easy to farm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's just a harder matchup in general. I think against some of the other three three war, three fighter warbands, they'd be okay. Um, but Wormspat in particular, because of the damage reducing mechanic, I think that they're a harder they're a harder fight to win. Oh. Just, I mean, they were definitely two or three attacks in there where I should have died that I didn't because I rolled a shield. Correct. Yep. Yep. Which is fine. Like it's what they're designed to do. So like, yeah, it, it didn't like, it didn't phase me as much as like, I'd much rather you roll a shield, Jared, than roll a crit on me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I've really enjoyed playing them so far. I need to test the deck a little bit more, especially now that I made it the couple tweaks that I have. Um, with like swapping out distraction and doing some other stuff, but yeah. So overall, I mean, really pleased so far. You think that a good analysis, a low, a gist of the way that Man Trapper should play is like they're going to play really good into the the quote unquote top tier meta, like large warband. Yeah, can kind of like control objective play, but yeah. when you go up against a uh, similar like three warband four loons like a storm sire. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I can't even think of anybody else because Stormstar is 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 the the thing. But or Wormspat, like 
that's this type of deck build is going to struggle. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't say it would struggle. I just think you're just going to have to adjust what you want to do. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say struggle because there's enough flexibility in the deck that I think that you could, that you should be able to pull it out without, not without much of an issue, but you're going to have to use your brain more, but it's still doable. Um, struggle to me means that you are up against the ropes just by matchup alone. Um, the matchup for this, the only one that really does probably pose a hard counter is Wormsbat for them. Um, and that's just because of the nature of the fighter cards and the nature of what they want to do with the current way that people are trying to play them. Yeah. And then what about the um, the additional, like, you know, Quiv and Bushwhacker? Like, are there, are there um, additions to the Warband? Are they more gimmick, or you found that they're very helpful? I mean, I think that they're helpful. Um, with the way it... it they're going to catch people off guard, which is going to be, which is a good and a bad thing, right? So a lot of people are just going to focus directly on Prothgorn and be like, okay, I've got to kill him. Like he's he's the money, right? Um, or other people are going to say, okay, well I'm going to kill all the Nobblers because they're easier to kill. Um, but I think that you can come at people with different angles with the Warband, which I like. Um, Nobody's going to see that Luggett and Thwacka coming at them and then <laughs> missing their attack on one, and they have one health left and they're like, oh, well, why'd you do that? Like, And I'm like, okay, well, I just get to push you now into this lethal. And then I score unexpected pitfall. <laughs> like, there's just little things like that that people aren't going to really suspect that you can do. And people are like, oh, shit. Um... And then there's all the shenanigans you can do with Rothcorn where he's maneuvering you around. It's it's not something that you need to focus on, in my opinion. Like it's not something that you should heavily invest in, like pushing people around with with Rothcorn's attack and stuff like that. I think that that, that can get you in trouble um, with trying to focus too much on your positioning to pull somebody into a lethal. Um, I think if you get caught doing that, you're gonna you're gonna focus too much on that, and not you're gonna get pushed into a lethal yourself. Is what's gonna happen. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one of the benefits of playing a deck like this is that you present more opportunities for those lethals to be used, um, because you're flipping over objectives, you're moving, you're removing those objectives, um, and with all the different cards, you know, people like to play on the perimeter, and so you know. Collapse is a great card, um, which will be restricted, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but um, and I think I think it's got a really nice, flexible play style, which is something that I'm trying to be more open to this season. Because last season, I, and probably the season before that, I pretty much exclusively played run in, kick your teeth in. If it didn't work, oh well. Like That's kind of how my brain functioned. Um, but Jason, you seemed like genuinely excited whenever I 
posted this deck the first time, um, you were like, oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, very... like, I mean, it speaks to me because it's flex. Like, it is 100%, you know, I'm going to deny what you want me to do. And then at the same time, there's I still think there's enough teeth in there mm-hmm. to go to, to punch someone. And that's the way I like to play. Like, I like to dictate, you know, what's going on. Um, I mean, I don't, the episode's about critiquing the war ban, but I mean, I'd almost challenge to put in Blazing Soul in there just that way you control his inspiration and make him right. even more dangerous as, yep. as he goes. Yeah. So, um, but what are, um, any, any pit traps that, uh, <laughs> any pit traps of, of the war ban that you would just want the, the new the new pilot to be aware of, or do you think it's well-rounded enough of just, you know, play the way you want to play? I think having experience playing Molog and thinking more about your activations with one particular fighter has kind of helped me a little bit. Um, You know, I've seen many Molog players that'll just be like, I'm going to charge. No, don't do that. Um, (laughs) Like, you have to really think through it's it's kind of the chess game that Jared was talking about, right? Especially with coveted spoils in the deck. Like, I have to really think about which objectives I'm removing at a given time because I want to trick you, right? I want to trick you into being like, okay, cool, I've got my supremacy in the bag, right? But I'm sitting there waiting. I'm waiting on you to do that. And then once you get there, then that's when I, you know, hopefully can pounce and be like, all right, well, that one's gone, and now you've wasted all this whole turn trying to score, you know, supremacy or whatever, and it's not there. Um, so it's a little bit more of a, it's a cat and mouse game. That's um, something to look out for. So if you're trying to play something like this, you have to really kind of think not so much about just what you want to do, but what your opponent's trying to do, um, which is can be difficult. Um, and then the other things that I would say would be just be cautious about how you place yourself because even though you have six wounds, you're gonna six wounds you're gonna feel invincible, but you're not. And it's very, very easy for, you know, two relatively decent fighters that have, you know, you could be charged by Rastus and Amos and they have like pit trap and pit trap or trap you know pit trap in their hand and amos is inspired well amos does three and then rastus charges in with cleave and does two oh pit trap you're dead like it's it's very it's easier to lose him than you think um so just be cautious with that don't don't be overly aggressive with him unless you know for sure you have what you need to do in your hand yeah, and even more so in the playstyle that you're going for, you know, remember every warband can do four damage at least once or twice, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. kind of the magic number. But when you have that many lethals set up, that means they're doing at least five, uh, and then with plank damage, they can probably do six. They can, so they can get rid of you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. oh, great, great advice. Uh, great faction breakdown. Uh, you know, and with that uh, class. Uh, we will, we've done sprung the trap and you all have clap and we'll move on to, to oh. the next, uh, <laughs> move on oh. to, to the next, uh, the next subject. Um, but we're going to take a quick break here before we get into just 
Defining the Universals. So we'll be right back. All right, welcome back from that quick, short commercial break. Thanks for listening to our sponsors, all zero of them. Um, so, <laughs> what's going to be really funny is like one day when we strike it rich with this podcast, which we're not going to do. Just to be clear, <laughs> yes, is sir. I'm 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 going to go back and edit in commercials, <laughs> and so that joke is going to make no sense. Amazing. No, you're not. You're not going to edit. That's not you. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, you know, just want to thank you guys for breaking down, you know, the wonderful two new factions, uh, want to close out the episode and talk of just a, a few universals. Uh, a lot of them we did mention throughout the episode, uh, of being kind of incorporated into these new decks. Um, uh, but I do think that some of them take some time just to make sure that they're individually mentioned, uh, that, you know, our players and listeners out there don't, don't leave these out. So, uh, the first one for me that I think is the best uh, card out there in these in the new decks that comes in the Man Trappers is Buried Instincts. Uh, we did talk uh. about it's a reaction play this during an enemy fighter's attack action that targets a friendly fighter before before the attack roll, right? So blocks a window there. Give that friendly one guard token. If that friendly fighter is a quarry, you can also reroll one dice in the defense roll. So. This is a, this card, yeah, it gives you guard, right? Like, you know, a lot of the two dodge warbands, it's a huge, huge card. But more importantly, your opponent doesn't know it's coming. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what's set up here is they charge in, they think they're going to kill you with trap or, I'm sorry, of snare, pit trap, something to push you back into a lethal and push bust you this out. Onto an edge hex and play collapse. Yeah, and and you 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 rain on their parade by going on guard, right? Yep. Um, so very very versatile card. Uh, I expect to see it in almost everyone's deck. Uh, it does take a you know it does hit aggro a, again, uh, but the nice thing is it's a ploy and can only be used once. Uh, but Lord knows how many times I've been burned by survival instincts, thinking I could push somebody and I. So, <laughs> be on the lookout for that. Um, Trace, like you have, you had one that you're talking about during the break. You want to talk about that? One? Oh yeah, it's probably a, a little bit more of a fringe card. Um, but for somebody who's running something like I'm running, where you're going to be turning a lot of, you know, objective tokens into lethal axes and stuff, um, I think Vicious Beast is an interesting, an interesting card. Um, what that card does is says place a scatter token on a lethal hex, then do the following twice. Scatter one from that hex. Any fighter in the end hex has dealt one damage. So, you know, it's not a guaranteed damage card, but it's a cool way to potentially pull two wounds off of a fighter if you get a little lucky. So it's, you know, with all the all the um, warbands that want to get close to objectives these days, um, you go in and you flip one on them really quick before they get on it you can potentially do a quick two damage to them so yeah well, cool um you know so another one from an objective standpoint team effort i think is almost an auto include with three warband the three figure warband fighters 
Yep. Um, or even four. It is such an easy end phase scoring. That is, if there are two or more surviving friendly fighters, and each surviving fighter made one or more actions. Jared talked about it in his Nurgle review. Yeah, um, but card. It's such such a such a good easy score for for an end phase. Um, Makes me want to go back to Stormsire, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, they're so good. Uh, they are so good. <laughs> they just got better. Unexpected pitfall. Um, you know, we did touch on this one too. Once again, a surge in a hybrid score. This immediately after an enemy fighter is taken out of action by a lethal, or an enemy fighter is taken out of action by damage dealt by a gambit you played. Uh, key thing here is gambit. So not it's not very often that we've seen like you know snare or pit trap doing the damage by them where you're going to score a glory. Um, it's nice to have the lethal, but on top of that, any spell. Um, gambits that you play that do plank damage also can score this card so watch out folks unexpected pitfall will probably be in every hybrid style deck um, a flex deck and aggro deck um jared do you have anything any cards you want to talk about um so you talked about oh you just said it and then i lost it the objective the team effort i like it yep. yep and then unexpected pitfall um, I'm trying to think if there were any standout new ones from Wild Form. Wild Form. No, stop, Trace. Just <laughs> let it go. Stop trying to make Wild Form a, a, a thing. Collapse. Collapse is Coll- one that we Collapse is good. Yeah. So Collapse is. Um, so it's a Gambit ploy. Pick three edge hexes in a single group with each hex in the group adjacent to at least one other hex in the group and all in one player's territory. Each fighter in a hex you pick is dealt one damage. So it's encroaching shadow, except it can't be played on fighters that are in no man's land. But you could hit up to three fighters with it, uh, and this is great because uh, it pairs quite nicely, also with encroaching shadow and with lethal ward. Because some people like to hide objectives in the corner in the back, and then they put the widow Katha on them. And even though she's inspired, <laughs> you could—he's never experienced this, folks, ever. Lethal ward collapse and. Um, encroaching shadow and just, just take two of those though, for widow. Well, I'm saying she was inspired. Oh, I just always assume that whenever I'm fighting the more flight, that they'll be inspired <laughs> magically somehow. So yeah, so I like that one. Um, and then I'm trying to think. Leave nothing to chance, which we've we've brought up. Um, yeah, big big card for the yeah, way that the way that we're we seem to be gravitating to play. Well, and I think it also helps aggro warbands just in general because not only can you charge and sit on an objective, you know, but you can just say, oh, like, no, I'm just going to remove this. So now you could charge onto, you know, a semi forward objective, especially if you have like a faster fighter like um, Garrick. <laughs> like Garrick. Um, sure. Yes. I was going to I was actually say, am flirting with the idea of a. <laughs> Well, they have a they have an infaction one too, don't they? Don't they have they a remove? Do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was thinking even like your faster, you know, numpty fighters like Legane or, um, you Garrick. know, or Garrick. Yeah, or Garrick. Um, or sake. But you or sake. But you can charge onto an objective and then remove it. And so now, I mean, you may have a situation where you are looking at you're playing into Grimwatch or playing into Thorns, and they've got the three objectives, but you can happen you happen to have spectral wings or something and you can make it onto one 
and then it's gone. So now you're forcing them to come to you, um, which is great. And then the other one, and this is just a personal pick. I don't think it's going to be critical for most war bands, but it's ah, maybe. So lucky escape reaction play. This when a friendly fighter is dealt one damage precisely. That damage is not dealt to them. So this is critical. It's going to block pit trap. It's going to block collapse. It's going to block lethal ward. The thing that's really nice for um, for the worm spat is let's say you're going to get hit by a three damage attack uh, and I roll two shields. Well, I've reduced that to one and that's the most that I can reduce it by. Well, now I play Lucky Escape and I have negated the attack, um, which also means that the attack fails. So, you know, like it keys off of a lot of things. So that's another one that, I mean, but it, it's also a way like to keep a fighter alive that's on one health that somebody just either pushed into a lethal hex or pit trapped or snared. That's a dirty Johnson. <laughs> well, this is hex ed, so we have to talk about all types of Johnsons. You should always wash your Johnson. Yes. All right. So, <laughs> so on that note, uh, I have two more. I have Amberbone Dagger. Um, I like this. I just like this one because it takes me back to like Godsworn. Like Godsworn need a cleave in order to score ward armor in case they lose their two other fighters. Even though it's on a crit, um, I like the fact that I can give somebody a weapon upgrade that has a chance of getting cleave on three three dice. Um, and then if you take that fighter out, you get an extra glory. So the Amber Bones are definitely uh, some of the best weapons we've seen from that utility. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want I want to end the episode on the card Nightmare in Shadows. So Nightmare in the Shadows... <sighs> is yet another distraction. So the gift pack brought back distraction. Um, a lot of other war bands have in faction style distractions. And now we've added a universal of choose one enemy fighter and push that fighter one hex. Um, you know, I think it's been well documented on other, uh, outlets, media outlets for underworlds, you know, Oh, look, we have so many distractions, so many pushes, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I'm here to say that having two distractions uh, or three distractions is good. So, you know, for the last X amount of months, there has been this rumbling in the community that Grimwatch, Thorns, all these objective-based warbands seem to be dominating. But then we're going to complain when we get another card that will help us push people off of objectives now i understand with thorns you have to pick the right time to play it against them because they will just varkloff push them back on i'm sorry it's thorns but against any other matchup you're pushing fighters to get them off of objectives making them spend ploy cards to get back on those objectives especially if you wait till after they made a move action now does it completely break it no and it shouldn't grimwatch have many counters to running the double distraction, uh, you know, Lady Hawthorne. Everybody has counters to run these distractions, but it having two of them gives certain warbands the tools they need to just close the gap a little bit, in my, my opinion. And it also helps aggro by closing distance on charges. So take a step back, breathe, and run two distractions. I like it. Class dismissed. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, we'll be right back with the outro. And we're back, and uh, with the class dismissed, uh, we will close out the show. So this has been episode 21, Hex Ed, Fly Spread Diseases. So keep your flies shut. Uh, <laughs> Just so know, everyone knows, uh, that, that is a it's a quote from the mo- like the movie documentary Band of Brothers. Like it's not an original. So yeah, okay, put that. Uh, all right, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> So as always, you know, we, we want to say thanks for listening. Um, you know, if you, you can log on, uh, get on Apple podcasts or iTunes or your listening platform of choice and leave us those five star reviews, it'll hit the algorithms and allow other people to find us. Um, if you want to follow us on socials, we're battle mallet podcast on Facebook, battle mallet PCAST on Instagram, battle mallet one on Twitter. Uh, and you're free to reach out to any of those, uh, any of those channels. If you have questions or comments, uh, if you, you know, just want to hit us up, uh, we have a discord. So, uh, and the links for all of those will be in the show notes. Um, for anyone that's not aware, uh, the Nova open primers for most of the events are online. So I will try to put a link to the newsletter in the show notes as well. So you can start to take a look at the schedule. We didn't talk about that. That's probably going to be the bulk of our next episode is talking about the schedule, the events that we're planning on attending, maybe classes that we're planning on attending. And as the show moves forward in this season, we're going to try to have guests who are either planning on attending or teaching or running an event at Nova um, just to engage with Nova more. Um, So you guys can look forward to that. Uh, yeah, that's it. So, warm spout, just spreading disease, grandfather's blessings, frothcorn, being fat, being fat, and eating things and flipping your objective tokens into lethal hexes. And FM objectives, yep, and uh, run to distractions. I (laughs) I think those are our lessons for the day. So, I get without Danny, we're just three dads. This is true. Yeah. And absent Danny. Three dads and, yep. So, this is Jared signing out. This is Trey signing out. I'm Jason Table New Murray. Get the hell out of here. Run two distractions. <laughs> Peace! podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. If you have further questions as to its use, you can find more information via links on podcast.battle-mallet.com. Music by Anno Domini Beats.
Ugh.